0: Hello, friends. It's me, Kendra Arsenault. Spectrum Magazine, SDA Kinship, along with yours truly, have come together to bring you another episode of Imago Gay. It is still Women's Month, and greater yet, it is International Trans Visibility Day. And today we have a special guest, Randy Robertson, and she talks to us about her journey as a trans woman. She has spent 22 years in the Air Force. Uh, as a pilot, incredibly accomplished person with a unique story and perspective that I think you all will enjoy for today. So with all this talk about Women's Month, it's caused me to refocus on questions like when did you know? When did you know you were a boy, a girl, transgender, or non-binary? I have a talk coming up on my personal podcast where I explore the question of what being a woman has meant to me. So, when did you know? I posed this question on social media and I got responses like, I've always known I was a girl, and I've loved playing with dolls and wearing dresses since before I can remember. Some identified their early life as being more of a tomboy but still feeling like a girl. I think it got me thinking, because I think I've always considered myself... Just a person. When I was younger, I can't ever recall feeling dainty or pretty, even though I was told I was. I spent my younger years dressing in like skater shorts and t-shirts, trying to hide a body that felt a little large and clumsy, not really petite. I eventually grew into liking myself and how I looked and dressing in ways that were flattering. But I still remember how the gender norms that I was supposed to conform to felt constructed around me, more than inside of me. I remember fighting with my mom one afternoon, and she told me, you can't be running outside all day. Your brothers can, but you cannot. And like I was straight out of an episode from Family Matters, I said, is it because I'm a girl? Hold it. You're letting Eddie go all the way to Canada for four days with some guys you don't even know? But you're not going to let me go to Toledo for one night with friends you've known for years? Well, honey, there's nothing left to do but to just say it. It's because Eddie's a boy and you're a girl. What? Well, whatever happened to I could do anything. I could be anything. Being a girl shouldn't stop me from becoming whatever I want.
1: Well, well, all, all that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just comes later. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry I wasn't a boy, Mom. Would have made things a lot easier. Unfortunately, there was no sad music to cue at the end of our conversation, and we moved on. (laughs) I get it now. Being a girl meant that for me, I would be more vulnerable and susceptible to violence, and she wanted to protect me from that. Being a woman feels differently, I'm sure, for all women. In honor of International Transgender Visibility Day, we will be talking with Randy Robertson regarding her experience as a transgender woman. We will be breaking down the constructs of gender and what it means for a person to move towards a more aligned experience between their internal and external selves. Okay, we're just going to lead into our conversation because I just, I love talking with you. You are so (laughs) fun to talk with. And, And even just, can I just say like out of all the people, you know, when everything went down with Advent Next, one of the... The community that I think that was very supportive, very in my inbox, people that I, that I've created like good connections with have been transgender women, that they have been one of the most supportive people uh, when it comes to like my virtual community, that they have come out of the woodworks. And I am so grateful for the mama bears of the community came out and uh, and support. And I was so blown away by that.
1: Well, you know, I, I'm not surprised. I don't know how much of your your community and online community is in the trans world. But the reality is is you can't have been in the community for any length of time and not know, have experienced, have seen the experiences of isolation, loss, and loss may mean loss of job, loss of family, loss of standing. You have experienced it to some degree or another. And so when you see somebody else in that same space, what are mm. you going to do? I mean, you've you've had to walk this battle of authenticity that is honestly so in the face of so much of of the world if you're an out trans person even if you're like me who's who's largely stealth in real life you know day to day living you've still had to walk that walk and you know lots of people that have walked that walk within a community that I have a voice kind of to be a mama bear I step up
0: yeah yeah and I and I've I love that I love that so one thing that I think wanting to kind of really understand more of the the transgender culture and transgender world. One of the things that I love, one thing I was dying to know in the first questions that I asked you was like, so do you actually get mansplained now? Is your experience as a woman objectively different than what it was when you were a man?
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, but you know, the, uh, privilege is an interesting thing because there is in our societal construct there is some female privilege that's there and if you are a passing trans woman you are privileged to bits and pieces of that mm. so the mansplaining thing I got I got three so I've been a professional pilot since 1988 when I joined the Air Force I wow. spent 22 years in the United States Air Force as an officer and a pilot retired from there as a lieutenant colonel, for what it's worth. After that, I taught for Andrews University for four years. And that's a whole set of story. We could spend a long time <laughs> on that. And maybe we will. Left there because of my journey in life. We moved to Florida. I have spent the last, basically, the last six years teaching. And the last two and a half years, I have been at JetBlue Airlines, where I'm a pilot and an instructor.
0: So first, thank you for your service. I mean, you spent a long career in the Air Force, so thank you. It was good
1: to me, honestly. Mm. It was good to my family, so.
0: Good. So you have had this robust experience in in aviation, professional, you know, pilot teaching, a ton of experience, an excellent resume. You've been a test pilot at certain times, right? Yeah, I spent nine (laughs)
1: years as a test pilot.
0: So you have extensive knowledge. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be mansplained about probably a lot of things. Definitely not about aviation. Definitely not. <laughs> have you, have you experienced a difference in treatment since your transition? Yeah. So, so um,
1: I don't say this to brag, but I have a really, really good resume within the space that I work in and I have a good reputation as well. But my first position after I transitioned, I was with another company, not at JetBlue. And uh, I taught corporate pilots. I'd been there for a little less than a year. And once a month, they, I, they put me to teach the what's called the initial systems class. And so it was a six-day long course, eight hours a day for the first five days, and then six hours on the, on the sixth day. And uh, I taught that class. So it's like teaching a a college, a university level class in a week, right? Mm. Literally.
0: (laughs) Super intense.
1: Yeah, really intense. But you look at the industry I'm in and less than 5% of professional pilots that hold what's called an airline transport license, less than 5% of us are women. Mm. So compare that to say surgeons, right? They're like 19% of surgeons are women. So it's super male dominated industry and it's slowly and it's so painfully slowly changing, Mm -hmm. but it is changing slowly. So every classroom I'm in, odds are, I won't have a woman in the class. These gentlemen would show up coming in, traveling in from out of town for, you know, three weeks of training. And they would walk in that Monday morning and I would get responses like, oh, with a name like Randy, I thought you were going to be a man. Hmm. Um, I would get the looks of like, oh, my God, it's a woman up there. It was (laughs) unbelievable. Mm -hmm. One of my colleagues was being transferred from one aircraft into the aircraft I taught. And he had such issues that he actually went to leadership and said, if she's teaching initial, I don't want to go to the class put me in a different class when somebody else is teaching it. Well, they, they, fortunately, they said to him, go to the class or find a new job.
0: Good on administration for backing you up on that one.
1: (laughs) So he came into the classroom. He was not happy to be there. Day and a half in, he went back to leadership and said, oh my goodness, it's the best class I've ever been in.
0: Wow. Wow. And have you ever had those experiences? prior to your transition? Do, were people doubting your competence?
1: Oh, no. Never. <laughs> Never. I'm a, I, I walked in. I'm a guy. I'm a pilot. I was an Air Force pilot. Enough said. I, I, that was right. it. You were totally qualified. You're good to go. Woo-hoo,
0: I can learn lots from you. Um, right. But as a woman, so it's not in our heads, women, you know, oh, this, no. we are getting treated differently. Our competence is questioned because of our gender. It's. Real. (laughs) This is one of the interesting
1: experiences that trans women can bring to the broader community of women that says, hey, you know what, there's there's certain times where we really do need to probably all stand up a little bit more than sometimes maybe we do.
0: I'm glad to have this conversation with you because I, I think sometimes people are afraid to... Like, how do we have these conversations? How do we talk about, get to know other people's experiences without offending anybody? And, and so when it comes to language, some people are afraid to ask questions like, what are your pronouns? And so do you have any helpful language or some do's and don'ts for people who want to start conversations, but also be considerate? Sure.
1: So, so the first thing is, is if someone has a clear presentation. Right. If somebody shows up in your midst and they're clearly presenting as a specific gender, then don't use the pronoun that doesn't fit. Right. Even if you're like, I know that person is transgender. Right. And worst case scenario, if you're not sure, Get the person's name and use their name. Mm. The name is always safe. And so you can ask the person, What's your name? Bob or Sally or whatever it is. Use that until you at least get to know them well enough to where it's not like this invasive question of, Well, who are you? What are you? I mean, (laughs) who wants to be asked, What are you? Oh my gosh. Five minutes in.
0: No, (laughs) no, thank you.
1: (laughs) And it's amazing how many trans people pass through spaces and people don't even know that we have passed through that space Mm. the idea of a man in a dress or whatever else is I'm not going to say it's the exception but it's not as common as you think and that person who is shall we say the quote man in a dress um, the transgender person who is really early on in their in their journey give them lots of room to not look terribly great. Mm. You know, and support them. I'm don't I'm not saying tell them that they look awesome every time, but but be supportive and support them in the journey that they're on. Cis women didn't grow up and magically when they turned whatever age it was, know how to dress and know how to put on makeup and know how to do their hair. And the reality is, is some of us are better at it than others. And it will be that way until we die.
0: Right, right. I'm still learning to do my makeup. so. So,
1: you know, at a point where I needed to start to know, I literally went to an Ulta and I went in and I said, okay, this is who I am. This is what I am. I need help.
0: Hello. and what did they say what was their response?
1: oh it was awesome so yeah. it's funny I became I said so the first thing they did is they, they they went and they found the the guy who worked in the store who was a uh, a drag queen a well-known awesome. drag queen yeah and we chatted over the next hour and a half or so as he showed me all sorts of stuff he said I don't do it all that much anymore but I help a bunch of the the younger ones now she was like, so what's your purpose? And I said, this is what I am. I want to look natural and normal and pass through spaces. And and he spent a huge amount of time. And and so many of the, the gals in the store, the clerks came by and they were all like super, super supportive. You know, he, he did half of my face. And I'm like, I can't walk out of the store with half a face. <laughs> right. But he was showing me how to do stuff. Right. Mm. So then we did the rest of my face. But that's really how I learned. And I go from having to go from, as an adult from nothing to being able to look professional almost overnight. It's a little bit of a challenge.
0: (laughs) I think this is so important because even as, as a part of the LGBT community, there's different parts of the community that I'm more in touch with than others. Right. And so, you know, to think we're all this monolith, it's not true. And I'm learning so much through this journey. And, and even by doing this podcast, it's putting me in touch with so much that I'm learning and gaining so much experience from. And I hope our audience listeners do too. And I was thinking, you know, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about your story, you know, that somebody listening can hear the voice of what you've been through and hopefully relate to those that might be in their life.
1: Yeah. So my oh. father was a teacher and administrator at Southern for over three decades. My mother was an educator so I grew up in a home three siblings an older brother a sister and then a younger sister and I grew up in a community that I look back with very fond memories hmm. but there are there is baggage from that as well so I grew up in this loving home with engaged and wonderful parents with good siblings and so by the age of somewhere between, I can't put a dead peg on it, somewhere between six and nine years old, I had clearly gotten to the point where I sufficiently understood myself to know that I was what we would now call transgender.
0: How did you view it at the time? Like, did you have, was transgender a language that you accessed or how did you internalize that knowledge?
1: Well, well, let's get real. Okay. Let's go back. I live in Collegedale, Tennessee. This is the late 60s, early 70s. This language is not running around the community. Transgender wasn't even a term that was in use at at that point. Transsexual would have been the the proper term. And so I, I had this understanding, but I also came to this understanding that within our community construct, that innate sense that kids get that this would not be good for others to know. And and I headed into the closet Mm -hmm. and, and stayed there for a long time. And the reasons changed over time. There just wasn't a lot of literature at that point in time. By the time I am in middle school, I have a very clear understanding of who I am, but I also have come to understand that within our community, gay is bad mm. and I had no other real viable thing to measure against so if gay was bad what I was had to be worse somehow right. in the logic of things so I was cross-dressing in secret and with two sisters one older and one younger I had lots of resources and oh, that's awesome <laughs> I, I have since apologized profusely to my two sisters and they have forgiven me <laughs> I finally I get to college. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be. I'm trying to be a good guy. I pursue something that I enjoy in terms of career aviation. I, I meet the love of my life there at Andrews. And we married the day I graduated wow. that afternoon, that evening. Wow. What a busy day. <laughs> oh, It was hideously long. And he, Every time it was like, well, if I do this, this will fix it. If I get married, that'll fix it. It didn't, but I loved her and I still do. And so I kept hiding. I kept staying in the closet. We navigated ourselves through life. We eventually ended up in the air force after fits And I figured, well, okay, every one of these is going to fix. It's going to work. It's going to work. None, none of them did. Right. I should have started to figure it out a little bit sooner, but I didn't.
0: So all of these kind of career moves and transitions were you trying to to fight against making the transition into womanhood or were you were you thinking that you were going to be fixed how are you internalizing that process so
1: so, so i'm like if i finally get successful then i won't i won't do when we move you know yeah none of it ever worked right none of it because because it's the way your head's wired but we get settled into our career my career in the air force our career and as soon as there's any open window, it's like, oh, my God, it comes rushing back as hard as it ever was. Probably worse. Wow. We have our first child during the course of my first assignment. That was a weird experience for me.
0: Tell me about here's,
1: it. Well, you know, so here's this thing. What do women grow up with as a Perception of motherhood and the idea of pregnancy and and what that means in one's life. Right. And here I am with my dear and wonderful spouse, and there's this weird level of jealousy going on.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I could imagine. Because this is
1: an ex- yeah, it's an experience I want. Right. Right. I wanted. I mean, I'm too old now. I'm not going to have kids, obviously, mm-hmm. other than the ones we already have. But it created. It created for lack of a better term, a lot of dysphoria for me at that point. Mm. Had our first child, that didn't fix anything.
0: Did you being a father, was that also a part of like the kind of dysphoria, like you described it, to not be recognized as a mom, right? Or to be thought of as a dad. Was that problematic in any terms? So the world may have
1: seen me as a dad. Mm. My kids probably, I'm, I'm pretty well convinced saw me as a dad certainly early in, in life. And to an extent they still do because it's a legitimate title that I get a hold. But I always framed it in my head, I'm a parent. Mm. I yeah. turned it gender neutral, as gender neutral as I possibly could. Right. So granted, given my career path, we had a fairly typical set of roles between my spouse and myself when we were raising our kids particularly when they were young through school age but i always framed it in my head as i'm a parent right we're parents and yeah. and so i degendered it which allowed me to not to place constraints on myself of this is the dad role and that's the mom role and and vice versa Right. And so, whatever worked for us is the the roles that I would pick up my fair share, or at least I certainly did my best to, and those kinds of things. I, mm-hmm. I think I did an okay job.
0: I think that's all we can ever aspire to. yeah.
1: <laughs> and and it's along in this time after our daughter comes along. I'm in my very early thirties, and I've been struggling with God, why I've been praying about this for at that point, well over ten years. But it's in this window around when our children are born that I start to finally come to resolution with God. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going, okay, this is just who I am. I start to be able to resolve with God that God said in scripture, I, I knew you basically before you were in your mother's womb. I knitted you together. If I grasp and hold on to that, I am who God made me to be. Yeah. Now, other people may not agree with that, but that's the the truth of it. God knows my inner most being and when I finally resolved that I'm good with God and God's good with me, now I'm in a really difficult spot. Mm. I have acknowledged to myself that yes indeed I am a transgender person. I'm married to an amazing woman. We have two beautiful children and we're raising a third, a nephew. My career is going well. It provides a good income. We need stability to raise our children the way we want to. And I have hard choices because if I come out at that point in time, my career comes to a screeching halt. Financial stability is totally turned on its head even even at that point, our society was way, 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 way further back than it is today, and it has a long, long ways to go, but it was way more hostile even then.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I made a conscious choice, a very conscious and explicit choice to remain closeted and deeply closeted and figure out how I could manage through space and time to at least get to my military retirement.
0: Got you. Now, were you still in the military at the time that you came to this kind of?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was probably a little over halfway through my career when I finally, maybe about halfway through my career when I resolved it in myself, right? When I was like, okay, this is who I am. This is what it is. But I've got to figure out how to navigate from here to the end of a career because that creates financial stability, long-term financial stability for my family, regardless of the outcomes long-term for my spouse and I.
0: That, can I just say that takes an incredible amount of sacrifice. You know, I certainly don't think I could have done that, right. To have put that off for 10 years. And I think that just shows the caliber of human being that you are. I mean, it must've been a painful 10 years to retirement because you were halfway through. You probably had another 10 years to go.
1: Yeah. Uh, round numbers, 10, 12, something like that. So, you know, I'll be honest that to navigate the space, I've always been faithful to my spouse. So I'll start with that. But I, I would be at home by myself working on a project doing a research thing for a graduate program and my spouse would be gone with the children and, and that would be a week or, you know, whatever. And so I was home and it gave me space to be as authentic as I could be at the time. It was at one hand frightening because you live in a neighborhood and you don't want the neighbors to know because you have neighbors that are literally squadron mates and and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I would be working on on graduate program stuff in my study, Mm. Um, but I had a change of clothes so I could put on, if I had to go to the front door, right.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: So I could do a quick change. I could do the, the wonder woman thing.
0: And it sounds like you're having to live with an incredible amount of vigilance, incredible amount of like awareness and defensiveness. Even like, I'm sure that caused a lot of stress and and took a toll on your. Did it take a toll on your mental health at all?
1: I, I am blessed with a positive outlook by nature. Good. Blessed with kind of the cup is half full type of a, a view of the world and life mm-hmm. and um. Sure. It took a toll. Did it ever put me in a corner where I, 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 I felt like I couldn't manage or anything else. No, I, you know, and I was fortunate and, and I actually knew that that was the case at the time. And at the time I was like, you know, maybe, maybe I can navigate this all the way to the end of life mm. and, and manage it all the way to the end of my life. And the older I got, the the more that reality was clearly not going to work. And certainly by the time I I got my last assignment in the military, I was to the point where I knew things were going to have to change, how much they were going to have to change. For me, I, I wasn't absolutely certain, but I knew they were going to have to change.
0: All right, everyone. We're halfway through the program and we are taking a quick break. So let's just take a deep breath. Okay. Let's get back into it. What was the tipping point for you to say, okay, I can't, I can't, this isn't enough for me. Well, so...
1: It's, it's not a tipping point. It's a fading line. My spouse found out in the course of our last military move to our last assignment. And she discovered my stash of clothes and accessories and makeup and questioned me.
0: What and was her first up, reaction? Was it like, are you cheating on me? Or did she know have some, well, intonation?
1: no, no, no. Well, so, so we've talked about that and you know, her first reaction when she found the two boxes of my clothes was, and then she's like, no, it makes no sense. Right. There's, it makes no sense. Why, why would Randy have these things if cheating was happening? That made no sense. And so mm-hmm. she was like, Hmm, what does this mean? We had a long conversation and there were lots of tears shed on both sides on, on my side, probably more tears of relief and on hers tears of, I I don't know what this really means for us and, and for her, but given where we were, we made the conscious choice based on career and family stability that, um, I would stay in the closet and so fundamentally drug her in the closet with me. Mm. I finished out my my career in the Air Force and I could have stayed longer. The Air Force certainly would have kept me longer.
0: If you didn't retire, would there have been consequences if you were to transition while you're still in the military?
1: Well, at the time um, when I retired, I, I would have been forcibly retired fundamentally is what would have happened. Mm -hmm. Given that I was retirement eligible, I just would have been forcibly retired. But in theory, yes, they could have medically discharged me for mental deficiency. I mean, I retired before the end of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Within a year of my retiring, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which actually only applies to LGB, not T, came into full fruition and administratively started to execute within the the branches of service. So
0: mm.
1: weirdly, transgender has never, unlike Don't Ask, Don't Tell, um, transgender service has never lived in a legislative prohibition. It's always been within, as long as it's been prohibited, has been within the administrative framework of mental health. Mm.
0: So... Interesting. Um, Do you know what the policy is today? I think I saw a story a while back. It was a transgender man who was in the military. And I don't know how those policies have changed. Are they making a shift?
1: So the end of the Obama administration saw the introduction of authorized service uh, by transgender individuals. So that would have been in the 2016 range. In the last year of the Obama administration, give or take-ish. The, the policies finally came into place. And, and then by tweet, the immediately prior occupant of the White House basically said, we're not going to allow transgender individuals to serve. However, many transgender people continued to serve throughout the previous administration. The Biden administration has reversed all of that. And we're kind of back to the policies that were in place in 2017. I know it's a a priority of the administration, but it's slow work. It's hard work.
0: I just looking at your career, you know, with the military and then the church, right? To, to have predominantly a career, those many years in kind of a non-affirming spaces i just can't imagine how difficult that that your employment is tied to you staying in the closet essentially
1: it's do what you have to to survive and provide for the people that i made a commitment to the most important person in my life
0: yeah
1: and that commitment didn't go away just because i'm a transgender person mm. and even if she had chosen A path that had said, we can't stay together, I still would have ensured that she was provided for. So that's just the commitment that I made. And I'm going to live up to that commitment. And and so those are the motivators that I use to to basically keep myself sane, honestly, and keep myself, you know, engaged and motivated and I was doing stuff that I enjoyed doing. So it wasn't as though that part was a burden. So
0: yeah. yeah. Um it's just an incredible I, love story, honestly.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I I retired at the end of 2010 and my spouse says to me, Okay, you've got to go find a therapist.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> you you gotta get this sorted out. You gotta get this figured out.
0: Hmm.
1: So I did. I went and I found a therapist, somebody who was who was skilled with the LGBT community and had some expertise with transgender people. The third visit, she's like, "Yeah, okay, you're definitely a transgender person. Yeah. This is not hard. You're an easy one."
0: I'm glad it wasn't complicated. She's like, "This is not a complicated case. You're a transgender person. That's yeah, it. <laughs> it's
1: clear. It's obvious." I continued to see her for a little while, and after a while, you know, after a couple of months, she's like, "Okay, so I can keep taking your money, Randy, but you're healthy mentally, mm-hmm. uh, you're fully functional, you're fully capable, and we're at a point. You're at a point where you've got to make some some decisions as mm-hmm. to what you need to do to continue to move forward with life." Like she said, "I'll take your money, but you don't need to come and see me." on a regular basis anymore. She said, when you've made those decisions, if you need help, whatever the decision is, uh, I'm here for you. That put me into a period where I had to do some real soul searching. I went to my spouse and she's like, I can't, I can't really help you with this decision. This is a decision that you really kind of have to sort through. I'll listen, but I can't affirm or disaffirm or anything else. This is a decision you truly have to make. And
0: Mm.
1: I'm grateful that she put it that way. I spent several weeks and I came to the conclusion that transition probably was the path that I needed to go on, but minimally I had to come out to my family. I had to be open and honest about that. And so I told my spouse that that was the case and she said, okay. And we then started to, to strategize how we're going to do this. We decided that we would tell my siblings first. So my brother and my two sisters first, okay, because we wanted to create a network so that our children had um, people that they loved and trusted mm-hmm. that they could go and talk to. We went over to their house before dinner and sat in their living room And I spilled my soul, so to speak.
0: Mm.
1: And they're like, okay, well, we still love you. Let's go eat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a fantastic response, by the way. (laughs) But you know, that's just thinking back. I mean, it's still hard. Mm.
1: You know, those are hard conversations. And even today, they're just thinking about them. It's hard. And so then I told my, my two sisters on the phone, cause they didn't live in the area. Mm. My two sisters and my siblings are like, okay, so yeah, you got to tell mom and dad, but hold off. Mm. And I respected that. They had some conversations, which I have no earthly idea what they said (laughs) amongst themselves that I was not at all included in, but they then said, okay, this is what we want you to do to tell mom and dad. Mm -hmm. This is how we want you to set it up. And I kind of let them lead on that, but I had a phone conversation with my parents. That was the choice that we made. Um, Probably the hardest conversation I've ever had. Wow. But the response that my parents had was, we love you and we always will. Mm. And you'll always be welcome. And that's not what a lot of people experience. Just not. Mm. Whether you're gay or bi or lesbian, that's not even necessarily, it's probably a more common response, but for trans people, that's way less common than it should be. I hadn't gotten a job after I'd retired. I had been seeking a position. I had put out more applications, complicated time politically in the United States, and the jobs that I figured I was gonna be able to go and get weren't being funded. I got a call and they offered me uh, an associate professor seat at the department of aviation. Wow. Having, having no job and needing a job,
0: it's I accepted
1: act- the position.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and so here within the previous three months, I had come out to my whole family and now I'm taking a position at a seventh day Adventist university. <laughs> wow. And the irony was not lost on myself or my spouse. Wow. We agreed to four to six years at Andrews. And some of that had to do with the age of our kids and getting them through school. Four at the short end, to be fair, to the university. And six would have gotten our our youngest all the way through a bachelor's degree, if that's what he chose to do. Mm. And so that was the, the window I get to Andrews and I start my tenure there at Andrews. I dove right in. I love the university environment. Mm. I love the kids. I still love the kids. I'm still in touch with almost virtually all of them.
0: So I guess I'm kind of curious about, you know, you're at Andrews, you're teaching. It sounds to me like you've kind of planned when you were finally going to transition. And that was after you spent four to six years teaching and then then you gave yourself the permission to do that or how did that go
1: well my plan kind of got sidetracked it wasn't like i was like ooh yeah let me see let me go spend four to six more years in the closet right in the closet <laughs> yeah but gender dysphoria is a powerful who it's powerful and the longer i put it off the more problematic dysphoria became. Mm -hmm. And so I would go down to the lake for two weeks at a time to work. And it was several hour drive there. And so I would go down, I'd stay in the house, I would work. And for 10 days, two weeks, I was me. Yeah. And every time I would come back, I would have to change. So I would stop. Literally, I would stop at a park just before I got home. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Yeah. And change in the car into my male persona.
0: Wow.
1: And every time I did it, it got harder. I bet. And And that was where I came to the epiphany that I was going to have to, in order to really continue to live life. And so by my second year teaching there, the dysphoria was becoming almost debilitating. So I went and I saw an endocrinologist and started HRT.
0: Congratulations. (laughs) That's a big step.
1: Yeah, it's huge. And my body likes estrogen. I'd done all the reading, right? Many trans women will write that one of the best things about HRT is what it does for your head. It does it does fun stuff to your body. I like what it's done. I'm not arguing with that. But what it does to your head, and I'm like, ah, it can't be that great, right? At the end of the first week, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing.
0: Really? What was that like? I, now I'm curious. I'm going to admit to something that I don't admit a lot.
1: During my second year there at Andrews, I'd gotten to the point where my teaching load was very heavy, and I was teaching all new classes that year. And I was literally barely keeping my head above the water. Hmm. In other words, I was preparing the morning of a class to present that class later in that day. Hmm. I wasn't getting papers graded as quickly as I should have. Honestly, I would come to a weekend and on Sunday I would be like, okay, I have these things I've got to get done. I'd get up early in the morning to get started all, you know, with gusto to get it yeah. all done. And at six o'clock at night, I would look and I would be like, I've done nothing, mm. but I have to teach class tomorrow. So I would work until nine or 10 o'clock at night, get up at five in the morning, four thirty or five in the morning so that I could teach class. I knew I had to do something. HRT was what that was. And so the end of that first week, I'm like, holy cow, I haven't been this productive. And I can't remember how long.
0: Oh, wow. So it really helped improve your productivity.
1: (sighs) Oh, yeah. I mean, the noise, and I've always used this expression, the noise in my head was just going away. The noise that prevented me from getting the things done that I needed to was just going away.
0: Interesting. That's so cool.
1: (laughs) But I'm like, ah, it's it's placebo. It's placebo, right? I that's what I told myself. You know, got to give it more time. The end of the second week, I'm like, okay, maybe it's not placebo. Maybe there's a little bit, but some of it's placebo. And you know, by a month in, three three four weeks in, I'm like, okay, it's not placebo. It's just what it does to me. Hmm. And that's amazingly powerful. You know, you just I don't know how to explain that to somebody who's never been there and never had that experience. Right. So my brain really liked the estrogen. The rest of my body kind of took to it pretty well. They started way faster than I thought.
0: Really? Did it become increasingly difficult to hide these transitions taking place?
1: Well, you know, so here's the weird part. Everybody had a perception of who I was.
0: Hmm.
1: So all these physical changes that are going on, they just... Overlook them, right?
0: Yeah,
1: they don't notice. There's only one person in that window in that time frame that had any sort of question in their mind. It was one of my colleague's spouses. Apparently, I was looking fairly <laughs> fairly chesty. I'm not chesty, but I was looking fairly chesty. She goes home that night and she goes, "Hey, you know, I was talking with Randy today. Is she is 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 Randy transgender?" And and, and
0: he was, was like, "No, no, nah, <laughs> not a
1: chance." And she's like, "Well, looks to me like,
0: mm. yeah."
1: So it got harder and harder to hide, and and I knew that, and and I was at the point where I needed to continue the journey.
0: I'm actually so happy for this part of your life now because I feel like you have sacrificed, like you have known this. I don't know, maybe like 30 years ago. I, I, I'm only speculating.
1: You're being very generous.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
1: let's, let's go. It's over 50 years ago.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That you've known for such a long time and you have given service to your country. You've given service to your family. You've given service to the church. And now it's time for you, right? It's time for you to finally be able to have that investment in yourself.
1: I've said this before, you know, I didn't get to walk down an aisle in a dress. I didn't get to be a soccer mom. I didn't get a a career woman or anything like that. I I am now, I'm a career woman now, but, you know, a young career woman and, and all of those things. And I have a choice now. I can either bemoan the fact that I didn't get those experiences and opportunities, or I can accept what I have been blessed with and what I've been given. And that is, I am a woman who gets to live the latter part of her professional career doing something she enjoys a great deal. And I, I, I pass through the world the most comfortable that I have been in my life. Wow. Yeah.
0: Brandy, we've got to have you on for a second time. We're not even halfway through our questions here. I I know. There is such a wealth that you have to share with us. And I look forward to a part two. Like this does not have to be your last time on the show. So you have have done some incredible work theologically. You have a, a plethora of experience. And I hope we will have you back on soon because we need your voice in this space. I just want to ask you one last thing before we go, you know, uh, there was Ari's story came out a while back and there have been some responses. And I, and I found this response that I felt like was very typical, probably of something you would find in the church. And I'm curious about what your response would be because maybe people listening to this program might have heard these things or have internalized it in some ways. So I want to read just a a small part so our listeners can hear what this is. And then I want to hear kind of your response to this. Sure. It says, um, you know, suppose a student says, I'm male genetically and physically, but in my mind, I feel like I'm in a female body. My male body has felt alien to me and I'm only comfortable when I make myself look as female as possibly as I can. If a student makes a statement to that effect, what is the university's interest in highly monitoring their clothes? I said, in another way, I think bodily dysphoria is real. It seems to be some form of mental illness or a disorder. I don't see it as something to be celebrated, except as someone's ease of their discomfort. And then he goes on, I'm assuming it's a person of a male gender, I don't know. Uh, this person goes on to say, you know, they don't think that tr- the transgender is a misnomer. The pronouns are courtesies, not verities, that they make a lot of these statements that I think people are trying to say, you know, that the dysphoria that you feel is not necessarily grounded in reality. And what would you have to say to these types of statements and people who hear those types of statements?
1: So briefly, because this is hours worth of topic briefly the fact that transgender people exist is a scientific reality we don't know the exact whys and the exact hows and and the interactions that are there it is a scientific reality we're not mentally ill we're not crazy this idea that i was born with uh, a narrative that was created a long time ago for deep, complex reasons we don't have time for about I was born in the wrong body, et cetera, et cetera. Honestly, I was born in the body I was born in, I, right, wrong or otherwise. I have some things about my body that, as I was born, probably didn't match what was in my in my brain, how my brain was was arranged. That doesn't mean that it's it's a mental illness. It just means that my head and certain parts of my body don't match real well. Um, and so for this, well, you know, if, if all you're going to do is offer me courtesy, I'll take your courtesy, but that's pretty thin. Take the time to, to get to know the science that's there. Every geneticist, human developmentalist who is worth their salt will tell you that it's, it's part, it's somewhere in the genetic epigenetic or developmental, human developmental process in utero causes people to be transgender. And it just is what it is. We're not a big part of the population. I get that. You know, realistically, the numbers are somewhere around 1% of the population. And that statistically works with the science, by the way. Mm. So people who see the world as binary when it comes to, quote, gender or sex, just are ignoring a huge wealth of science that now exists that tells us that sex or slash gender is continuum, not not binary. And when you wrap your head around the idea of continuum, continuum opens that door to the complexity of the human race. And, And that continuum is necessary that we're all different. If we didn't have these continuums, we'd all be the same cookie cutter, same okay. color, same hair, same eyes, same shape face, same voices, all of that stuff. I'm of the opinion that the creator of the universe, one of the creator's greatest loves is variety. Hmm. I believe that. All we have to do is look at creation the animals, the plants, the mountains, the hills, the valleys, deserts, forests, all of this, all we have to do is look at the world that we live in to realize that the creator created variety. And we're part of that variety, those of us who are LGBTQ. We're part of that beautiful mosaic, which creates the amazingness that makes each of us individuals, gay straight, cis, trans, whatever.
0: Whatever indeed. Imago Gay is a podcast where we explore queer questions and a colorful God. In addition to Curious Conversations, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been writing in about the podcast and sharing about their experiences. So I'm going to share some of those experiences on the podcast in the future. So if you'd like to have your story shared, please be sure to write to me at Kendra Arsenault on Instagram or Facebook. You can follow our sponsors today, Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship, and be sure to sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. This episode was created and engineered by yours truly and sponsored by Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International.